Hello, folks, and welcome to The Farm, a podcast dedicated to synchromysticism, power politics, and high weirdness in all its many forms. This is your host, Recluse, a.k.a. Steven Snyder, the longtime curator of the Visit blog and author of the recently released A Special Relationship, Trump, Epstein, and the Secret History of the Anglo-American Establishment. If you like what you hear here today, be sure to check me out at visitview.blogspot.com. That's B-I-S-U-P-V-I-E-W, all one word, dot blogspot.com. And procure a copy of the book and my other works at the Farm's official store, which is the farmpodcast.store. That is the farmpodcast, all one word, dot store. All right, today we've got a returning guest, the great John Brissom of We've Read the Documents. Of course, John's a bit of a reoccurring character at this point as he's been helping us out with the ongoing Wackle series for the past few months, among many other things. John, thank you so much for dropping by, my friend. Anytime, Recluse. Thank you for having me back on the farm, brother. All right. And also joining us today is someone who's starting to become a uh, kind of tertiary character in his own right around these parts. He's uh, our fellow synchromystic Jack Hart, the longtime curator of the Technostics blog and the author of Technostics Trilogy, which includes the Technostic Heresies, Tales of Wonder from the Collective Conscious, Applied Technostics, a field guide for the Collective Conscious, and most recently, Technostics Codex, Ancient Wisdom of the Collective Conscious. Jack, thanks so much for dropping by again. Yay, thanks for the invite. Uh, and I'm just happy to be in the same virtual room with you and John, so looking yeah. forward to it. Uh, I think it's going to be a really fun show today. Okay, of course, we are in the aftermath of one of the most controversial elections in the nation's history, put it mildly. So we're going to talk some current events. Specifically, we're going to look at one of the more bizarre developments in the ongoing elite civil war. A few weeks ago, I had Jack on here and we covered what are effectively emerging cults on both the left and the right in Antifa and QAnon, respectively. Specifically, we talked about how both of these movements appear to have been an outgrowth of LARPing, or for those of you who are not total nerds, live action role playing. Well, it turns out Jack and I were closer to the mark than we could have possibly imagined at the time, at least in the case of QAnon. A little over a month ago, the Financial Times and Heavy.com released bombshell reports within days and possibly hours of one another. These reports trace back the true origins of QAnon to Cicada 3301, an alternative reality, uh, alternate reality game, or ARG, launched in the pivotal year of 2012. At some point, it was hijacked by individuals who later worked towards setting up QAnon in 2017, another uh, significant year as well. These are certainly some incredible developments, and today the three of us are going to try and make sense of them, if that's even possible. The Financial Times piece drew parallels between Cicada slash QAnon, LARP, and Operation Mindfuck. Is fake Cicada slash QAnon a modern-day Operation Mindfuck? Well, that's something we're going to explore over the course of this particular episode, so let's get to it. All right, let's start out with uh, the aforementioned Operation Mindfuck. But to grok that, we need to talk a bit about Discordianism. Jack, you're a counterculture guru here. Do you want to take us through that? Uh, sure. So uh, Discordian, uh, Discordianism was, and of course is, the first great world religion to emerge after the dropping of the atomic bomb over Hiroshima and Nagasaki in 49. And as horrific as our entry into the atomic age was, the rise of Discordianism was just as absurd. Um, for although Discordianism is profoundly 
eloquent and insightful belief system, it is at its core, first and foremost, a parody religion. Um, Discordianism, the history of Discordianism was, uh, Discordianism was said to have been founded by two beatniks, Greg Hill and a guy named Kerry Wendell Thornley. We'll talk a little bit about more, a little more about him in a second. Um, and I warn you guys, this narrative gets a little tangled, but uh, so the mythic origins of Discordian date back to, uh, Discordianism, excuse me, date back to 1958 in a bowling alley in Whittier, California. And that's where our dynamic duo, uh, Hill and Thornley, were uh, visited by an apparating chimpanzee. And the sacred chimp it materialized out of nowhere and revealed to them the great Discordian secrets. So accounts differ at this point uh, as to when they met the sacred chimp. But in my favorite version, at the end of their meeting, the chimp was said to have rolled a golden apple to them. Uh, uh, they were in a bowling alley after all, but uh, they rolled him a gold. Uh, they rolled a golden apple to them as his final act before the chimp did before his disapparation. Uh, so this apple led them to the Greek goddess Eris, who was also famous for lobbing uh, golden apples of her own in uh, Mount Olympus, causing a tumultuous uproar amongst the Greek gods. Um, so Thornley and Hill's revelations and research led to the writing of the Discordian sacred scriptures. So the Holy Canon of Discordianism is a book titled Principia Discordia, written in 1963. Uh, to the faithful, Hill and Thornley were better known as Malaclips the Younger and Omar Khayyam Ravenhurst. Um, According to the great historian and scholar Adam Gorightly, uh, Discordianism is essentially a dualistic religion where, like the you know like the Taoist yin yang, universe is eternally in a dynamic dance between order and chaos, or more to the Discordian point between humorousness and seriousness. Uh, so, in addition to inspiring countless hippies, hackers, and heretics. The Principia Discordia went on to inspire one Robert Anton Wilson and his cohort at the time, Bob Shea, uh, who wrote the infamous Illuminatus Trilogy. And as I know you guys know, uh, in Illuminatus, the Discordians are the arch rivals of the most foul conspiracists of all time, the Illuminati. So that's just a brief snippet of discardianism. So I'll send it back to you, Stephen. All right. Thank you very much, Jack. Um, yeah, it's definitely something to behold. All right, Jack. So what about Operation Mindfuck then? How did that uh, particular uh, plot get going? Yeah. So, so as I said, Robert Anton Wilson, uh, he was an acquaintance of Thornley, um, and uh, was inspired by all, by all the discrazy, uh, by all the crazy discordianism that uh, Thornley was laying down. Um, and in the uh, in the Financial Times report that we that uh, came out a couple, about a month ago, they claim uh, in that report they claim that Thornley embarked on the first Operation Mindfuck, and uh, he did so by claiming a vast conspiracy perpetuated by none other than those rascally mass manipulators, the Illuminati. Um, so he did that anonymously 
but in the letters to the editor page at uh, or department at Playboy magazine. So it just so happens in those days that uh, Wilson worked at Playboy and he his job was fielding letters to the editor. So he would write responses to the letters, which are then both, you know, both the letters and Wilson's response were published in the magazine. And through that public exchange of letters, the two became friends. You know, and the, and the thing about Thornley, he came to believe his own mindfuck and not without cause. So, you know, Thornley, well, Thornley served in the military uh, with none other than Leah Harvey Oswald and wrote a book based on Oswald uh, called The Idle Warriors. And that was published before the JFK assassination. And that raised some uh uh, raised some speculation in certain circles. Um, and consequently, Thornley was entangled in the Warren Commission. He was subpoenaed by uh, Jim Garrison's uh, uh, JFK conspiracy case down in New Orleans. And he even claimed to have fed information. He, he claimed to have been fed information by Watergate burglar E. Howard Hunt. So, you know, high strangers indeed. He was. Uh, immersed in some uh, strange strange happenings yeah i mean he's just a, a fascinating character i mean with some of the different um connections that he uh emerged with especially in new orleans during the 1960s uh i mean of course he also had ties to um individuals uh linked in with um was it the uh, Minutemen, of course, the uh, really the first post-World uh, War II Cold War era militia, the first modern one really in this country. Uh, and this was specifically during one of the more militant phases of the Minutemen that involved uh, arms trafficking and that type of thing. Um, but he also was an attendee of um, the Freedom School of uh, Robert Lefebvre, I believe, something to that effect. But um, another really big... Uh, libertarian outfit so he did have some uh, ties like that that you would not necessarily associate with such a counterculture icon and then of course there was his uh his whole involvement in the free katanga movement as well um i know a lot of our younger listeners or really most of our listeners are probably unaware of the uh, katanga crisis from the early 1960s but um effectively it was a breakaway uh region in the congo after it had been granted independence by belgium and um effectively uh several Belgian uh, industrialists and a few other Westerners tried to set up a public regime in uh, the Kintangum provinces, which was, uh, you know, where a lot of the uh, natural resources were very uh, prominent in. And it led to something of a civil war. Um, of course, UN troops were deployed there. It was one of the first times that they were really deployed on a large scale. Uh, and this really greatly um, galvanized the far right against JFK, which again, isn't really talked about very much um, in this day and age. It was a general sense in such circles that Kennedy was responsible for war crimes, having um, instigated the UN peacekeepers there, which had uh, caused all these issues with Katanga. Uh, Thornley was very much a supporter of Katanga, and this had led to a lot of his um, antagonism against the Kennedy administration, another aspect that's not really uh, talked about very much. So certainly that's something to keep in mind. Thornley is not necessarily the guy that a lot of people make him out as being, um, but certainly a very colorful figure. That much uh, is most assuredly true. 
All right, so while Operation Mindfuck was Thornley's baby, it was Robert Anton Wilson, or Raw, who did more than anyone to spread Operation Mindfuck. Jack, can you take us through that for us, please? Yeah. Uh, so again, uh, through the exchange of letters, Wilson uh, was inspired by the the vast conspiracy outlined by Thornley, and uh, Wilson famously incorporated it, and you know I think embellished upon the Illuminati material, and was the first to fully develop the Operation Mindfuck paradigm as a literary device in the Illuminatus trilogy. So, you know, I think, I think Wilson really took that, that ball, or in this case, that golden apple, and ran with it. But the thing is, no one is immune from the effects of Operation Mindfuck. Wilson, too, was pulled into high strangeness of Illuminati Illuminati plots, extraterrestrial mind control, and other Fortean phantasms. Uh, Wilson's bemused objectivity slowly but steadily gave way to his own paranoia. And uh, where all the materials from Thornley, oh, uh, let me act, actually, let me pose this as a question. Were all the materials from Thornley spoon fed to him by the CIA? Or worse, were they disinformation generated by the Illuminati themselves? So, you know, Wilson spent the rest of his career trying to make sense of all that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, however, though, at the time of Thornley's letters, the the whole mind, the, the whole mischievousness of uh, of Operation Mindfuck, it was swirling around the ethers, you know, in the late '60s and early '70s, and so. Uh, a myriad of groups such as the Diggers, um, the Youth International Party, uh, better known as the Yippies. Uh, I don't know if you guys have seen that recent uh, movie about the uh, trial of the Chicago 7, but that goes into a couple of no notorious uh, Yippies from that era. And then, of course, from, uh, you know, from the West Coast, the Merry Pranksters. So all these groups were actively engaged in various mindfuck activities. Uh, and of course, in those days, it was, you know, pretty, from their perspective, it was left wing, pretty uh, um, anarch anarchic uh, in their delivery. But, uh, you know, it was, it was a broader um, phenomena that was just floating through those, that era. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting in light, too, of another group that might have uh, been well, certainly it does appear to have been dragged into it much later on. But um, yeah, another um interesting figure that Thornley had encountered in New Orleans was a woman named uh, Barbara Reed, who was also a Discordian. And um, as I understand it from uh, Go Rightly's excellent book on Thornley, when uh, he was brought back to New Orleans uh to answer questions for um, Garrison's investigation into Clay Shaw and so forth. Uh, Barbara Reed had actually been Garrison's um, star witness, I guess, effectively against Thornley. So you had this sort of bizarre set of circumstances where you had one Discordian effectively squaring off against the other one in this uh, story case. But um, on top of that, though, Barbara Reed had also apparently um, forged ties with the Process Church of the Final Judgment, uh, which was also quite active in New Orleans during this time. This would have been around 67, 68, I think thereabouts. So you have this, you know, other kind of odd set of circumstances where another Discordian is, um, you know, hanging out with the 
process in New Orleans while you have this just, you know, this uh, storied trial with Garrison unfolding. Uh, and certainly the whole Discordian element of all of that as well. Um, certainly it does beg into question just what exactly was going on with the Garrison probe and how much of the Discordians had actually managed to infiltrate it and feed uh, Big Jim false leads and that type of thing. So yeah, that's another aspect. Wow, what a tangled web. Yeah. You know, and also that, that whole concept of pitting the two Discordians against one another, that's the classic divide and conquer tactic. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just fascinating. It really is. Um, so Jack, what in your estimation then is the lasting effects of Operation Mindfuck specifically on conspiracy culture? I mean, Thornley set out to deliberately muddy the waters. Many unstable individuals are already drawn to conspiratainment. In the best of circumstances, it can be like looking into a mirror reflecting back on itself. But I mean, what happens if you shatter that mirror into a thousand pieces? Right, uh, the uh, ramifications. Um, you know, I think in that regard, the hologram analogy is useful here, you know, where each shard of the shattered mirror contains a replica of the entire original image. You know, it's kind of like the, uh, the proliferation of a mind virus. Um, but as for lasting effects of the mindfuck paradigm, um, so it was Wilson who turned uh, Thornley's original mindfuck into a culture jamming system, really, with Illuminatus, uh, which it continues to evolve and expand to this day. Um, the evolution of Operation Mindfuck can be traced from Thornley and Wilson through the countercultural movements of the 60s and 70s to the rise of uh, uh, Zine culture, Zine culture, I'm not sure I'm saying that correctly. Uh, which, you know, exploded in popularity after the desktop, uh, desktop publishing revolution. And uh, Stephen, you may be, uh, you may remember the great Zion magazine review publication, Fact Sheet 5, from the 80s and 90s. Um, in its reviews of the Zion culture, it predated not only fringe networking from which conspiracy culture grows, but also, it predates the rise of weblogs or blogs, as they're known today. Um, you know, I don't think conspiracy culture would exist as it does in uh, today, in the form that it uh, exists today, without the heritage and lineage of networking revolutions that began with Principia Discordia, itself a Zion prototype. Yeah, a lot of that was really big um, in California in the 80s, correct? Which uh, Yeah, that was, it was. It, it had a really enormous influence. And a lot of that, as you're saying, did grow out of Discordianism effectively. Mm. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just, you know, also too, I mean, uh, obviously, I mean, Robert Anton Wilson, Gary Thornley, I mean, they are such storied figures in the types of circles that we traveled in, but uh, we travel in Jack. But I mean, it does beg the question, you know, should they be, criticized much more heavily than they are for this. I mean, certainly, I think from their perspective, Operation Mindfuck was an attempt to attempt to enlighten the public as a whole, to force them to step outside of the mental barriers that, you know, we all erect over time. But I mean, the problem with this is that, you know, it's kind of like taking LSD. I mean, um, certainly, 
more than a few people have taken LSD believe that it has had a tremendous effect on their lives and for the better. But on the flip side of the coin, there are many people out there that have no business whatsoever taking LSD. They do anyway, um, because I think to some extent, the irresponsible romanticism around it, and it does have horrendous effects on them. And I think to some extent, you could say the same thing about Operation Mindfuck. Um, I mean, what's your take on that, Jack? Well, you know, and specific to LSD, you know, it really is a, 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 a dualistic trickster because it can, you know, uh, be enlightening, but it can also bring about a very horrific um, experience. And, you know, part of the whole uh, mythology around high weirdness and specifically Operation Mindfuck itself um, a lot of the culture uh, that has emerged from that um, leads one to what Wilson called Chapel Perilous. And that's the equivalent of, you know, the dark night of the soul, where suddenly you find yourself in a juxtaposition of realities where you're not sure what the hell's really going on, you know, and, and you don't, it's not clear to you whether what you're experiencing is honest to God reality or some strange um, alt reality driven by your reality tunnels as again, as Wilson would say. And I think that, um, that LSD uh, and other entheogens in their profundity can absolutely trigger a unexpected trip to Chapel Perilous. No doubt. Now, in case you guys were wondering what does all of this have to do with um, alternate reality games, well, there is in fact a direct lineage to Discordianism and Operation Mindfuck. It comes in the form of what is generally considered to be the first true ARG. It was known as Ong's Hat and it was launched around 1988. It grew out of the California-based counterculture group called the Formless Ocean Group, or FOG, aptly enough which Robert Anton Wilson was a member of. So there is the direct line of succession from Discordianism to Operation Mindfuck, and finally, the modern ARG subculture, which also effectively came out of that California scene that Jack just so eloquently outlined for us. Uh, but anyway, all of this was by the way of the counterculture and the early cyber culture. And really, it's all about hacking folks, hacking computers, hacking the mind, and finally, hacking reality itself. That serves as a good bridge into our next point of discussion. All right, John, take us behind the rise of the original Cicada 3301 for the uninitiated. What the heck is it? All right, so Cicada 3301 uh, was supposed to be an organization. Uh, some people could say that it was a clandestine organization. Who knows? Very mysterious evolved around it but what they did was they released uh three puzzles on three separate occasions um uh to kind of recruit uh public code breakers or you know people to try to you know solve uh these grand you know well-designed uh puzzles um the first puzzle or round if you want to call that um was posted on the science and math board on 4chan on January 4th, uh, 2012. 
Um, and it's very interesting that it was um, posted on 4chan because, you know, later on, FBI and on and, you know, QAnon uh, would also be posted on um, 4chan uh, too, as well as um, kind of similar AR, you know, ARGs in that um, to Cicada, like um, the Finders ARG information would also be posted on 4chan too. And um, I'm trying to remember, there's another one as well. Um, but it seems to be a common theme uh, that this, you know, that these ARGs or these operations um, are, are ran on uh, 4chan. Um, so the first um, puzzle um, had an it had a, a like a text because 4chan is an image board, and it had an image uh, too as well that was posted, and it said, "Hello, we are looking for highly intelligent individuals to find them." We have devised a test. There is a message hidden in this image. Find it and it will be the road to finding us. We look forward to meeting the few that will make it all the way through. Good luck, 3301. And of course, um, put there was an image, and a .jpg file. Um, and later uh, through that thread, uh, there was uh, someone had uh, made an IRC chat. And uh, so a whole bunch of people started joining that RFC chat to try to uh, solve a puzzle. Um, and the um, Cicada puzzles um, had, you know, you had to have an extensive knowledge of computer programming, history, art, literature, uh, geography, and, and cryptography uh, in an attempt to, to try to solve the puzzles. Um, so just to take a basic uh, walkthrough, I'm not going to explain every step of the first puzzle. But what was done is, is people uh, took the, uh, the um, image.jpg file, the picture, and uh, they would convert it into plain text. And then from there in plain text, uh, you were able to uh, find, people were able to find that there was a URL embedded in the plain text file. And then they would enter that URL and uh, it would take them to a picture of a duck. Um, and then in the picture of the duck, uh, there was text beside it that led them to an outgas tool uh, and using that tool on the original picture the image.jpg file um, it was able to show that there was a phone number embedded in that picture and then people would call you know the phone number and then they were told that there were three prime numbers uh, within the whole entire puzzle so it was kind of like a step-by-step you know, move on to the next objective uh, type puzzle. The, the first puzzle was. Um, now later, the second puzzle uh, or the second round was released on January 4th, 2013, just like the first puzzle was released on January 4th, 2012. And uh, it contained uh, um, this book uh, called The Libra Primus, which means first book. Um, it's 58 pages long. Um, and it contained extremely advanced uh, puzzles and uh, cryptography, uh, a lot of the esoteric uh, nature. Um, you know, some now people have not been able to solve com the complete Libra Primus. Um, people actually kind of gave up on it. <laughs> Funny enough, around the same time that uh, the QAnon operation emerged, 
um, on the chans uh, in you know mid, mid to late uh, 2016. Um, so around that time, you know, people kind of became disengaged of trying to solve the Libra Primus and kind of moved on to the whole, you know, baking, you know, research structure of QAnon. Uh, so, um, you know, just to read a few things from the Libra Primus, of course, the cover of the book itself contains a man holding um, a, uh, a square and compass and drawing on a, page, a paper with a triangle. There's a triangle above, there's a triangle below. And uh, what looks to be two people pushing in on that 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 uh, uh, picture. One hand kind of looks like a beast's hand. Another hand look, kind of looks like a human hand. Um, and so the first, and it has you know, Libra Primus is the first page, and the second page has a warning that someone was able to decipher um, the cryptography um, and from this page. Believe nothing from this book except that what except what you know to be true. Test the knowledge. Find your truth experience your death do not edit or change this book or the message contained within either the words or their numbers for all is sacred and so the people who are trying to solve the libra primus they are called pilgrims and um there's a lot of esoteric kind of new age um, mystery schools uh, language so far that what has been uh, deciphered uh, through the Libra Primus, and then one of the final pages of, on, on it has an end. Within the deep web, there exists a page that hashes to, and it, it gives the hash. It is a duty of every pilgrim to seek out this page. So they haven't supposedly solved 56 pages, uh, or, or not, they've solved, actually, they haven't solved a majority of the pages, actually, not 56 pages, of, of the, um, the Libra Primus. Yeah, they really yes. like solve like what, like one or two pages, right, or something like that. Uh, yes, around that. It was like a ridiculous um, low number after like what? I mean, it's six years or something now. <laughs> yes, and people just like gave up because it was just too complicated, uh, or maybe they moved on to the QAnon operation. Who knows? Um, so the third puzzle uh, around was posted on Twitter on January fourth, two thousand and fifteen, and that kind of was all the puzzles. Um, and then there was a new clue that was posted on, not the 4th, but January 5th, 2016. Um, the Cicada 3301 organization claims that they are benevolent and they're not any type of hackers. And anybody who tries to solve the puzzle, uh, they wish that they would not break any laws um, doing so. Uh, they've made uh, that statement. Um, so, so far, no one has solved the puzzle. And in, in that one, I think it was a great big world documentary on Cicada 3301. Um, they talked to some, you know, NSA representatives and they were like, yeah, we have nothing to do with this. And I found that quite interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's it, it, that whole documentary is just very sketchy, of course. The, what is the coming again? Great big picture. Great big picture, yes. Uh, yeah, it's a, yeah. it's a subsidiary. Uh, it's a subsidiary of CNN, I believe. Um, the documentary is very slick. It was very well financed. Um, you know, they were obviously able to travel around. They got some pretty significant figures um, in the American, uh, you know, intelligence community to appear on camera discussing this stuff. Um, definitely quite glorifies the most prominent group of uh, cicada pilgrims. Um, of course, if you've read any of the uh, kind of behind the scenes things, uh, 
these four individuals really don't like each other very much. So much of what you are seeing in that documentary is just total nonsense, um, effectively trying to depict the uh, whole thing as an exercise on helping highly brilliant and unique individuals find true friendship and learn how to uh, maneuver around uh, Machiavellian deep states. So, yeah. Such a nice, warm and fuzzy story, huh? Yeah, it's a nice fantasy, though. I'll give them that. (laughs) All right, John. So, when did the fake cicada emerge? So, the fake cicada, uh, or supposedly um, certain people will get to later whom they might be trying to game jack or take over uh, the Cicada 3301 puzzle, was between 2014 and 2016. Um, And it involved, uh, you know, quite a few people but i'm not going to name them all here however some people that are worth making note of was uh thomas schoenberger who we're going to go into depth um you know in this uh, farm podcast um and uh manuel chavez third also known as defango um and defango was working uh with thomas schoenberger even though defango claims now uh that he was doing it just to expose it later um I'm not so sure about that, but that's at least what, you know, Manuel, you know, Manuel Chavez claims. Um, but um, they were, um, Devango would make videos um, about uh, solving uh, Cicada and trying to solve the puzzles and finding new puzzles. And, um, and uh, he went to DEF CON as well, um, convention to, to try to meet with people that were solving uh, Cicada 3301 and, uh, allegedly, possibly, maybe to infiltrate uh, their groups uh, for Thomas and to insert, you know, these uh, separate um, kind of, I guess, separate, you know, um, game, you know, try to game Jack Cicada 3301. Um, there's also a website too, as well, that was offering a cash prize for whomever uh, could uh, allegedly solve this, you know, new puzzles that were inserted by. Uh, Schoenberger, as well as the reward, supposedly, was the Spear of Destiny uh, that uh, pierced uh, Jesus. Oh, my. Uh, the Roman soldier uh, pierced Jesus. And there was a video I remember watching with uh, Manuel Chavez III, Defango, holding the Spear of Destiny that he had found it. He was out in a desert. Uh, I remember Nathan Stoltman from Lift the Veil oh, uh, talking about it, you know, wondering if it's the real Spear of Destiny and they were playing around <laughs> with that LARP. You know, so whoever solved yeah, the puzzle and Defango solves the puzzle, he, he got the Spear of Destiny. Uh, was so, it set up like a treasure hunt or something in the real world, too? Or? Yeah, it was, it, was, it was kind of mimicking Cicada 3301 in a lot of ways. Oh, uh, well, they, they um, always have to have a treasure hunt. All good ARGs have a treasure hunt. So of course. Um, so, you know, they kind of both, you know, both Thomas and Defango dropped information. Uh, attempt, you know, trying to attempt to say it was from the original uh, 3301 um, uh, crew. And also uh, there was another uh, uh, puzzle called the Red Tangri uh, 131, uh, you know, advanced reality game puzzle. And the Defango also tried to take uh, credit supposedly for being the creator of Tangri uh, 131. Um, and also, they, you know, they, the, the um, Thomas Schoenberger group uh, tried to trademark Cicada 3301. And actually there is a trademark actually. Uh, of, of Cicada 3301. Um, and um, there are many people that are involved with that trademark. Um, I'm not going to discuss them here because it's kind of, some people claim that, you know, this person's involved, but are they really? And 
There's some people who are listed on the trademark, but then is the trademark really active anymore? You know, so I'm not going to really talk about that, but people can look them up themselves. Um, and uh, also there was a supposedly a sunny movie deal and a TV show based on this game jacked, you know, fake, fake Cicada 3301. Um, and of course that fell through um, and it, it never came to uh, uh, existence. Now there is supposedly a movie that was made on the real Cicada 3301. And that movie was supposed to be digitally released this year, but I don't know if it was. I don't think it was. No, I don't believe so either. But um, yeah, it, it certainly seems like there's no shortage of funding to market this crap. <laughs> no, not at all. All right. So uh, what can you tell us about uh, this Thomas Schoenberger character? What's his uh, story officially, John? Okay, so Thomas Schoenberger... Um, he is, uh, he's a very complex person. Uh, he's in his, allegedly in his sixties. Um, he, he claims that he's a polymath, composer, historian, entrepreneur, event designer, uh, inventor, and writer. Um, I know people used to, to make fun of Thomas and not believe that he could play the piano. Um, I've made it known that I think he could. Um, and he put out a video recently where he was able to obviously play the piano uh, quite well. Um, you know, some people were saying it wasn't like, you know, someone who's played the piano for, for decades, but I digress. He could do better certainly than I could. Granted, I have no idea how to play the piano, but it looked like he did a good job to me. Um, and some, you know, some people say that he hasn't, he didn't ever composed uh, or doesn't know how to compose um, uh, music for infants. Supposedly, um, other than doing classical composing, uh, that's what uh, Thomas Schoenberger originally did was kind of make like, you know, like classical music for infants to try to, uh, you know, stimulate their cognitive development. Um, I mean, I, I, again, he could play the piano. I'm pretty sure he can compose too. Um, there've never been my issues with Thomas as far as, you know, that, you know, anybody who's coming after him on that, I think that's kind of, I don't know, you can't really prove that stuff in my opinion. Um, but, and so, yeah, I mean, do, do I think Thomas can play the piano? Yeah. I've seen him do it. Do I think Thomas composed music? Yes. I think he had a, uh, a YouTube channel, uh, called, uh, Sophia music, uh, where he was posting his, um, music to, um, and uh, he has a channel now on YouTube um, where he discusses a lot of things that are going on uh, with the many lawsuits that he's involved in, one of them being with uh, Gabe Hoffman from An Open Secret. And, um, you know, sometimes Thomas discusses things of a parapolitical nature. Um, and he's right about a few things. I disagree with him on a lot. Um, but that's kind of like the mythos around Thomas. And we'll get to more about that later. And a lot of people, you know, debating how true his own biography is, you know, cause you know, he mentions that, you know, he's worked on, with entertainment business whose client lists include Microsoft, Intel, General Electric, Pepsi, Amfac, Apple computers and other major corporations, you know? So it's kind of like Thomas has this huge, huge mythos built around himself and how true is a lot of it? Well, who really knows? But I'm pretty sure that there are some truths in there, like he can play the piano. I'm pretty sure there is a lot of 
fake mysticism put around Thomas Schoenberger, like him, for example, you know, claiming to be a polymath possible, but, you know, it's kind of like seems to be someone who padded his resume. That makes any sense. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to some extent, he almost comes off like a really um, low rent uh, Heath Raniere or something like that, or uh, maybe more accurately, another one of the more infamous um, con men slash potential uh, sometime intelligence assets out there. Um, mm-hmm. Little Robert Booth Nichols, uh, he of the uh, Promise Scandal, uh, the Golden Lily Funds, uh, I believe he even pimped Roswell at some point. Um, and one thing I forgot to mention too, Stephen, I want to make mention real quick, um, is that Thomas Schoenberger is friends with um, uh, Michael Levine, um, mm-hmm. the, the the famous uh, composer. And uh, Thomas actually listened, li- listed his address as a Levine's address um, in the court documents between him and um, um, uh, an open secret, um, Gabe Hoffman. Um, and they're supposed business partners with one each other too as well. So it's and, and we'll talk about some more of Schoenberger's connections. You know, Schoenberger just isn't some dude, all right. And and he does have connections to you know some pretty famous people, um, and it's also some pretty nefarious characters uh, too as well. And you know there have been allegations of Thomas. Um, I have seen Thomas Schoenberger, um, you know, uh, bully people. Um, I, I've seen that. I've seen you know cyber stalking and harassment i've seen that happen um and and now there are claims that he drove people uh to uh, suicide or there are claims that um his group called in um you know swatting and uh i forgot the gentleman uh but supposedly he was he was uh, uh he was murdered uh because of that um Possibly, journalist, allegedly. Journalist, you mean, or the actor? Um, or no, there was a, there was a, a, a guy. Um, I forgot his name. I can't believe I forgot his name. But uh, most people are listening; they would know. Most people who were listening they would know. Most people who were listening they would know. But still, I, I, I don't, I don't know. Um, I, I, I don't know exactly. You know, Thomas's complete involvement in, in all that stuff. Um, but I will say that Thomas is connected, and you know, how much the mythos around him is true and how much it isn't, you know, who knows? And I think Thomas likes it, you know. Yeah. He, he likes having, you know, that huge mythos built around him. Yeah. So. Oh, I mean, that does seem to be the case with some of these particular types of grifters. Now, this guy also has uh, esoteric interests, naturally, of course. So uh, what were some of those, John? Well, Thomas, suppose, of course, you know, like I mentioned earlier, he, he named his music channel Sophia Music. Uh, Thomas uh, allegedly gave himself the nickname St. Germain. Uh, of course, you know, with the, the ascended master, uh, Thomas St. Germain. Um, and then he's also friends with a woman named Lisa Clapier, who goes by the handle uh, on Twitter, Snow White 7 I Am. Of course, you have the uh, Mighty I Am uh, uh, cult out of Mount Shasta. Uh, with the Ballards, uh, uh, Judy and Guy Ballard. Um, And there's a book called The Psychic Dictatorship written in the 1940s. That's all about the IM movement, their connections to American patriotism and the esoteric arts and new ageism and and, uh, the sitted master Thomas St. Germain on on Mount Shasta. 
Um, so, you know, Lisa Clapier uh, was really good friends with Thomas and Snow White 7 I am on Twitter would, would push a lot of, you know, the QAnon uh, information out there and it has, you know, hashtag uh, Q on our Twitter. And she also goes by uh, P- Pistis Sophia. Um, and there's also emails between Thomas Schoenberger and Richard Allen Miller, uh, where, you know, Thomas is like, you know, I'm the, the you know, great, 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 great grandson of Thomas St. Germain. Um, and <laughs> Richard Allen Miller being like, well, um, I know that you are, <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, yeah, sure. Uh, so they got the whole, you know, ascended master, uh, thing going on, um, uh, I, I, have you done any research on as far as Thomas St. Germain or anything? Uh, no, that's not necessary an area I'm especially familiar with. Um, Jack, you got anything on uh, St. Germain? What, <laughs> you know, it's funny. Uh, I grew up uh, in the shadow of Mount Shasta in Northern California. And oh. I'm very familiar. I'm very familiar with the IM movement. And um, the one thing, and uh, I'll, I'm not going to touch St. Germain um, per se, but I will just add to the whole in- interest of the, the Ballards and who started the IM movement. You know, that is one of the first channeled books to reach popularity. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, in, in, in that regard, it's kind of a, at the inception point of the new age. It was one of the first books that they claimed, you know, the son of the family claimed to have channeled that information. So that's an interesting component. Yes. So um, it's, it's Thomas kind of saying, you know, because he's trying to play off of Count St. Germain um, and saying, you know, he's part of that family, you know, and then, and then you have, like you mentioned, um, you know, the mighty I am and, and Guy and Judy Ballard and, was very, very high up. I mean, they were, you know, there was many uh, people within the United States that were being fooled by the IM movement um, that came out of Mount Shasta. Uh, so it's just interesting that, um, that it's just, I, it's, I don't know. It's, well, another why, why we specifically glom onto that. And I, I, I don't know. Another interesting thing about that too, the, uh, the figure I mentioned earlier, uh, Robert, Lefebvre, I believe is how it's pronounced. Probably not. It's spelled uh, L-E-F-E-B-R-E. Uh, for those of you out there who uh, are curious about how, who I'm actually talking about. Um, but anyway, this was the guy who founded the Freedom School that uh, Carrie Thornley had attended, uh, I believe at some point in the mid to late 60s. And uh, this guy would subsequently become a major influence on Thornley's uh, later ideology. Um, he had some interesting connections, and among them was a uh, stay with the I Am movement from 1936 to 1940, where he became pretty prominent in. So uh, he was also a veteran of I Am and a pilgrim to Mount Shasta, apparently. Uh, and possibly, from what I can tell in Wikipedia, he saw Jesus there. So, yeah. <laughs> and, and Thomas Schoenberger on his YouTube channel, um, he, you know, he's always. I'm going to read like uh, uh, something that was posted on uh, Tracker, uh, Tracking the Leopard Moreau's, which is Jacqueline Weaver's blog, of, going, of, of transcribing a video of, of, of Thomas. Um, he, he, he talks about, you know, how he, he, this, I'll just read it. I've got a very strange update, maybe a number of them. Four days ago, I reached a critical point, a diverse state of health, and suddenly I am well, 
even beyond, well, you can hear it, my voice, it's not just return to health, but more. Last night, we left at midnight and went for a walk, and I walked for miles. I wasn't even winded. And my hair, there's no gray, none. It's been getting darker steadily, but now it's like it was in high school. In my mind, I can peer into the distance, and it seems sharper and more alert than ever. It's 73 words I count all the time. I can feel the regenerative ability of the brain and body. I'm walking with the lions in the night. I can't explain what's going on because you need to be inside me, but I'm transforming into everything, into math and music. I'm counting everything and assigning that endlessly 122 words, 692 characters, 122 times 692 is 84,424. 424 BC was when Xerxes II was murdered. He only ruled for about a month and a half. Plato that was born, born, a borning, and be reborn, firstborn, freeborn, iborn, inborn, misborn, natural born, it goes on. You can see how I could just leap to these things, right? Stillborn, unborn, wellborn, cell torn, right? That would be plasma membrane. I've been dealing with nucleated animal cells and cytoplasm plays an active and essential role. And they're receiving the reju re rejuvenation of things. It's called the membrane few fusion response. So pretty much Thomas talks about um, going through a process of regeneration and talks about Christ consciousness uh, later on. Um, he goes, so there are so many things possible. Faith, faith is what guides me, it really does. You could take all the science in the world and it cannot explain the things I personally experienced in life. They can't. I personally triumph and triumph through faith and people will say, well, who knows if Jesus was even real and it's just a story. If you believe that's true and you also believe in the power of collective thought, then if 2 billion people believe in Jesus Christ, what sort of power does that give an idea to Christ consciousness a lot? So as you can see, the whole spear of destiny and mighty I am and Thomas St. Germain, you know, glomming on to St. Germain, Count of St. Germain. It's just Thomas claims to be a Christian, but I've heard him also say that he doesn't believe in turn the other cheek and lives by the Old Testament eye for an eye and that Jesus wouldn't teach mercy. So with all everything surrounded Thomas, it seems like he's just pushing more new age theosophy, you know, mystery school type babble a mm. lot of the time. Yep, certainly so. with the uh, whole ascended masters rap, which plays into the secret chiefs. And yeah, um, fortunately, though, at least we haven't seen any direct references to the side holes. So we can be thankful. No, no, no. no. <laughs> um, what about uh, Jay-Z Knight? I mean, she's another uh, kind of a cultic type figure, new age mystic type figure who's been linked uh, to QAnon. Uh, have you seen any indications that there are links between her and Thomas? Not directly, to my knowledge. Not to say that they don't exist. But yeah, Jay-Z. The night, uh, the Ramfus School of Enlightenment was definitely pushing uh, QAnon mythos um, by having Shady Grove Groven uh, and into the Matrix uh, performing at the Ramfus School of Enlightenment and Jordan Sather stopping by and everything. So I think they're part of all, I mean, they're all, you know, kind of interconnected into that whole web of the QAnon operation and LARP and Grift, right? But direct connection between them, not that I've seen completely. Uh, 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 myself, um, any emails or anything, but I may have missed something. It's possible. It's very possible. I'll leave it at that. Have you, do you, have you seen anything? 
No, I haven't seen anything directly either, but um, I mean, it is a curious thing. I mean, of course, um, you've also seen support from Q from some other figures that were also um, promoted by Gaia TV, like Corey Good and uh, David mm -hmm. Wilcox, which uh, you and I, of course, uh, spoke about in a prior show. With and, the and, and Lisa, Cl Lisa Clapier has, mm -hmm. uh, seems to be around that whole Sean Stone, Oliver Stone nexus. And Sean Stone and Oliver Stone are also, you know, Lisa Clapier, Thomas Schoenberger, you know, them pushing QAnon and then pushing, you know, the mighty I am and, and pushing theosophy and new ageism. So, I mean, mm -hmm. yeah, they're all interconnected in some shape or form. Jack, what's your take on all this? I mean, it does seem like you've got some surprising figures uh, from some of these new age circles showing up in this Q thing. You know, it's not surprising in, in the sense that um, the the grift seems suspiciously familiar, you know? And so um, I think the common denominator is the potential for, uh, you know, for people to be uh, deceived or duped into the fold. And as you all may recall in the Illuminatus trilogy, back to Robert Anton Wilson, the um, revolutionary component of the Discordians was the legion of dynamic discord. And then of course, later in the trilogy, you, just, you discover that they also are described as the little deceived dupes. And so the whole LARP component is one of, you know, of trickery. And so it's a little uh, kind of despicable. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll touch on this later, but I mean, it is really, I think, Machiavellian how some of these uh, figures in the alt-right uh, have really manipulated at this, um, especially for the last couple of years. Um, but before we get to that, John, uh, why don't you finally go into some of the real nitty-gritty to how Schoenberger ties into QAnon? I mean, I know this is still a highly controversial connection at this point, as I understand it. It is, but there's enough there, in my opinion. Um, so... Uh, Schoenberger has connections to um, numerous connections to Michael Flynn. Um, so I guess I'll start with those and then uh, we'll discuss um, uh, kind of like what his involvement may have been in the QAnon operation. Okay. So a lot of the Schoenberger connections to Michael Flynn was discussed by a researcher named, uh, goes, used to go by the, the moniker Lestat. Uh, who, uh, his real name is Arturo uh, Tafoya, um, I think. Uh, his, his first name is Arturo. His last name hasn't really, maybe hasn't been out there yet. But however, um, Arturo was the source, I believe, for the heavy article on Thomas Schoenberger. And he's done research on his, uh, his um, channel, Cheshire. And he was given, um, the, uh, he was giving uh, Phil McConnell's old channel, um, uh, uh, by a, a friend, a former friend of McConnell's who ran that channel, Able Danger Channel, um, who, you know, came to discover that Phil McConnell is a grifter and a shill and just a horrible human being. Um, and uh, so he gave the channel to Lestat and Lestat, uh, Arturo turned it over to be known as the Conspiracy Distillery. And um, so he's done research into, uh, and also Arturo used to, um, be in that nexus of Thomas Schoenberger and Defango 
um, and uh, we would call, you know, fake Cicada 3301, if, if you want to call it that. Um, and uh, he would uh, allegedly do the artwork, um, a lot of the artwork uh, for them. And uh, Thomas Schoenberger actually stayed uh, at his family member's house with Arturo in a short period of time in Mexico. Uh, but Arturo seems to be heavily against them now. Um, I don't think that he is still aligned with Thomas. Um, there's a question mark of whether Defango still is or not, even though Defango does have a straining order against Thomas Schoenberger. Um, so, and I don't necessarily think Defango likes Thomas, um, but then again, Defango doesn't like me very much either. Um, he doesn't like anyone, uh, really. Um, so, I mean, I, so the information between Tom, Thomas Schoenberger and Flynn was that uh, Schoenberger was married to um, Faronique um, Sharuzi, who was the cousin of NGK Holding Corporation, for, uh, former uh, uh, founder and chairman, uh, Nasir uh, Kazimini. Uh, Kazimini is the, was also the godfather uh, to their son. Um, and uh, so in 2005, Schoenberger and Kazimini formed Amadeus Investors LLC. Uh, there are pictures of Kazimini and Schoenberger together. Um, Flynn uh, worked for the NJK uh, Holding Group um, and had to disclose um, when he um, became a part of the uh, Trump administration. Uh, he had to disclose that he received one. Uh, you know, you have to when you join administration, you have to disclose where you receive your income from. And he disclosed that he received uh, one one hundred and forty thousand dollars of income by working for the NGK uh, Holding Group. Um, also, in a 2015 deposition, Schoenberger claimed that he worked on a covert operation, a plan for Afghanistan, with Bian Khan uh, in, in 2011. Now, Bian Khan um, is the um, is was one of the partners for the foundation of the Flynn Intel Group. Um, in the Flynn Intel Group. Um, of course, uh, allegedly was started in the kitchen of Stanley McChrystal. Um, so uh, Bian Khan is an Iranian-American uh, businessman, and um, he was a member of the board of directors of the Export-Import Bank from 2006 to 2011, being nominated by George W. Bush, and of course later receiving the Senate confirmation uh, for being on the board of directors of the uh, Export-Import Bank of the United States of America. Um, and... Um, also, um, supposedly, um, he, Bian Khan worked for the Trump administration transition team uh, on mat matters uh, relating to the Office of Director of, of National Intelligence or the Office of D DNI. Um, so, of course, um, Bian Khan was later investigated. Um, and, um, you know, with everything that was being investigated with Flynn um, and, uh, you know, uh, Flynn's... Uh, connections for lobbying with Turkey and uh, Flynn's connections to Russia. Um, and uh, so uh, Bian Khan was actually uh, found guilty um, uh, during uh, the investigation. Uh, and um, he was charged for, I think for, I think he was a registered agent of a uh, 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 foreign uh, government. He was uh, lobbying uh, the United States on uh, behalf of Turkey. Um, and um, so uh, he was convicted in 2019, um, I think in July, um, but he still had not, you know, um, he, he did not uh, go, you know, appear in prison. 
um, and um, that in, uh, indictment uh, was later uh, overturned in uh, September 2019, uh, citing insufficient evidence. So Beyond Khan is, is still free. Um, but uh, there are emails between uh, Thomas Schoenberger and Beyond Khan, um, quite a few actually, uh, that have been posted. Um, so it would appear that Thomas Schoenberger is kind of in that Michael Flynn uh, nexus as far as the running of the QAnon operation. Now, there's also evidence that Thomas Schoenberger, um, through uh, Manuel Chavez III, through other uh, YouTubers that he was reaching out with and working with at the time, including uh, Robert David Steele. We'll get to more Robert David Steele later. Um, Victorious Libertas, uh, Nathan Stoltman from Lift the Veil, um, Isaac uh, Cappy, um, among others. Um, there were people that Thomas Schoenberger was giving narratives to uh, or trying to steer narratives as far as the QAnon operation and among many things uh, were, were occurring. Um, so it does appear that Thomas Schoenberger was kind of, you know, mid-level in the operation, mid to low. And he was the point man from the higher up people like Flynn to, you know, say, okay, give this talking point and narrative to Victorious Libertas, for example, and have them interview this person and have them mention this stuff about QAnon and put that into the mythos. And, uh, and so that seemed to be something that, that a lot of that was, was going on. Um, does it make any sense? Oh, Absolutely. Yeah, and I mean, it's uh, it's interesting, too, I think, with the whole kind of specter of JSOC lurking behind a lot of this. That's the uh, the Joint Special Operations, mm -hmm. for those of you who don't follow this stuff uh, fanatically. Um, of course, another um, senior military officer to come out and uh, throw public support behind QAnon was uh, General Paul uh, Valvoli. Is that how it's pronounced? Yeah, Valvoli or Valvoli, okay. either one, yeah. This guy, of course, he was uh, one of the co-authors of From PsyOps to Mind War with the um, hopefully recently departed uh, Colonel Michael Aquino, <laughs> uh, who apparently ascended or something to that effect um, on September 1st, if I remember correctly. But, I would say de I would say descended. He wasn't. Yeah, it's most more likely. But, um, <laughs> yeah, just uh, that was the official narrative, though. That yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes, quote unquote. Um, but anyway, yes. Um, when uh, Valvoli came out and uh, endorsed QAnon, he had noted that uh, one of the nicknames for uh, the intelligence officers behind it was the uh, Army of Northern Virginia, which was mm -hmm. um, a nickname for the activity. Uh, at least that's another one of the nicknames for uh, the highly elite uh, intelligence component of JSOC. Um, it's really a fascinating outfit and one that's very, very rarely discussed. Uh, so it's interesting that uh, such a senior former intelligence officer himself would come out and link um, the QAnon thing to uh, the activity and thus JSOC as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and you'll see a lot of intelligence officers being involved with pushing the this narrative former intelligence officers and and, and it seems to me former it's intelligence largely, officers and former military largely, yeah i was gonna say it's largely former military yeah but intelligence officers too as well and we'll get to naming some of those in a minute um but it seems to me that um this definitely leads more credence to QAnon being a government operation uh, among you know there being true believers and there being larpers and there being grifters and they're all a part of it as you know me and lee veltman 
on my channel, we read the documents, you know, Lee's done a lot, a lot of research in, into QAnon and all the various players involved in Thomas Schoenberger and, and Cicada 3301 and, you know, the trademark and everything. And I want to give a shout out to Lee for all his research and he's helped me too as well. And, and, uh, and um, you know, they, they, they've cyber stalked him and harassed him. Uh, just by trying to get this information out, it's real. You know, there is something to all of this. So, all right. Well, let's get into a couple of the other former intelligence officers, right quick. A lot of them come from this this outfit that's known as uh, Veteran Intelligence Professionals for Sanity, or VIPs, or VIPs, or whatever. Uh, what is this outfit, John? So the Veteran Intelligence Professionals for Sanity, or VIPs, is a group of, of, of um, United States uh, former officers of the United States intelligence com community. It was formed in January uh, 2003, um, and they released a February 2003 memo um, warning against um, you know, war within the Middle East uh, after uh, Colin Powell gave a speech to the United Nations uh, 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 criticizing um, that speech, and it was uh, founded by uh, uh, Ray McGovern, um, who would later go out to speak, you know, a lot against um, uh, the foreign wars and the government involvement within 9/11. Um, but there were some members of VIPs that have relationships with Thomas Schoenberger, and some that also um, pushed the QAnon operation, um, and that would be first uh, Bill Benny. Uh, <laughs> Bill Benny um, seems to, f to flip back and forth in his accepting of some of the, you know, LARPs or operations that the government is running and the other ones he seems to like throw his weight behind. And uh, one of those be something that I've mentioned recently in my channel, which was uh, the, the whole hammer and scorecard narrative that you see going around that's being pushed uh, right now that they were the reason why uh, Biden got so many votes um, and at once that was uh, questioned by Benny, um, but now it seems like he is throwing his weight uh, behind um, the person who is pushing, uh, or at least are using to come out with Hammer and Scorecard, uh, which is the supposed whistleblower, uh, and uh, his last name is Montgomery. And uh, they, uh, so, you know, Benny at one time, through uh, Sheriff Opio's office in Maricopa County in Arizona, uh, disproven Montgomery and, you know, was calling him a fraud. And, you know, and the government supposedly paid Montgomery back during the 2000s uh, and the company that he was working with, uh, uh, like a lot of, like a, a, a lot of money. Um, I think his name was Dennis Montgomery and the, the company was, a, uh, I think it's Blixith, if I remember um, and so they were paying them money to kind of like decipher like Al Jazeera messages to see if there were hidden codes inside um, that talk about terrorist attacks uh, using artificial intelligence. And um, they paid him, I think, $500,000 and a lot of the money he allegedly ended up gambling away. But supposedly when Tom Ridge increased the terror alert to orange um, in the uh, 2000s, um, it was because of that supposed evidence from Montgomery um, that there was an intimate attack and they had to stop, you know, flights coming from Air France, for example, and everything. It was just a major, like, you know, snafu. And the government was heavily embarrassed because of it, if you believe the tell of the tale. Um, so, yeah, that same guy who's been discredited multiple times uh, is the basis for Hammer and Scorecard. And Benny, at least once, 
you know, said that that guy was full of crap now says the guy is completely legit. And so is QAnon. And Bill Benny is a member, um, a long-term member of VIPs. Uh, so is Robert David Steele. And Robert David Steele's ex-CIA agent who's been, you know, platform boosting QAnon. And there's emails between Thomas Schoenberger, Robert David Steele. And Robert David Steele seems to be in the operation the same level as Thomas Schoenberger or possibly maybe higher or lower. Um, but they seem to be kind of like in that mid-level. Um, and, you know, Robert Davis still gives out a lot of disinformation on his, you know, YouTube channel. I mean, he even, you know, gave RFK Jr., I mean, JFK Jr., um, uh, the belief that he was going to be replaced Pence as the vice president of the United States with uh, Donald Trump uh, in a rally in the end of October that, of course, never happened because JFK Jr. is dead. And he rest in peace. So I, 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 these people, like Robert Davis still says like, like just pure insanity. Uh, and the people that he interviews are all in this QAnon operation, grifting, you know, LARPing nexus of, of pushing, you know, I mean, heck, he had Kerry Cassidy on. It seems you know, like Steele's actually trying to uh, maybe succeed Ted Gunderson or something in that uh, particular niche. Hey, at, least Ted Gu- at least Ted Gunderson had a little bit of uh Say what you want to say about Ted. I understand. I, I, the, I've said, said to myself, and so George of CavDev.org are issues with Ted Gunderson, but at least Ted at least did some good research and work, you know, like some, you know, I put some in quotation marks, you know, some of it you can validate. Uh, Robert David Steele, you can't, no, no, no. I don't, I don't know what he's doing. Um, he's pushing adrenochrome uh, very heavily and and being a part of the uh, International Tribunal of Natural Justice and that whole LARP court. You know, it's just, I don't even know what to say. But, but Vips, to have these people on, it's like, okay, like at least Ray McGovern, you can kind of say there's a little bit of legitimacy to Ray McGovern, maybe, maybe, you know. But then he's completely shot all of his legitimacy. Robert Davis still has no legitimacy. Um and, you know, these people are pushing the QAnon operation. So I wonder, I'd actually wonder, I can't get a full list of people who've been involved in VIPs. But I, my, my intuition tells me, I, I wonder if Steve Pachinik, Steve Pachinik's a member of VIPs. Mm. It's, it's, it's a speculation, but I, I mean, would you be surprised? No. It's just, yeah, it's incredible. <laughs> What's a spook? Always a spook. Yeah. Um, in 99.9, you know, 99% of the cases. <laughs> so, uh. All right. So with the presence and all of this, I mean, do we also have to consider the possibility of the broader Cambridge Analytica network? I mean, right now I'm in the middle of reading uh, Christopher Wiley's Mindfuck, just about finished with it. And I mean, just looking at the time frame, I mean, there are just very parallels to when the alt-right uh, started to rise really around tw- uh, 2014, when Cambridge Analytica really got going. Uh, of course, uh, also recently, I've listened to an interview uh, with Joseph Matheny uh, on Parallel View. I believe Joseph Matheny was uh, the principal creator behind Ong's Hat, so thus the uh, essentially the uh, father of ARGs. And he notes that uh, in 2015, he had been approached by a, uh, a Russian firm, which he later found out was a uh, kind of a troll firm. 
not unlike the ones that uh, Wiley had mentioned that um, Cambridge Analytica had been consorting with around that same time frame. And then, of course, you know, you have the whole specter of Steve Bannon in this. Uh, we all mm -hmm. know that Bannon is fascinated by gamer culture, that, I mean, he saw Gamergate as a way to uh, really rally angry white men. So, um, yeah, I mean, it seems like it's possible. I mean, what do you think, John? Very much so. Um, I do believe that the whole, we don't have, we, you and I and a few other people need to work on a hierarchy chart of the QAnon operation and try to guess to the best of our abilities because it's going to be, some of it's going to be speculation. We can't, you know, we don't have the docu all the documents in front of us, you know, but yeah, I would believe that, you know, Cambridge Analytics, who's psychographical warfare and the knowledge of that was using the QAnon operation. I mean, obviously Bannon is involved uh, with it. Um, he, he acts like he, he isn't, but he's been using a lot of certain, you know, QAnon terms on War Room, like dark to light and, interviewing people too within this nexus too. So it's, this is interesting. Um, so it wouldn't surprise me that, you know, some of the, you know, Cambridge Analytica uh, information and tools and everything were used within the QAnon operation. Of course, the Mercers, you know, were big co-founders and funders uh, of Cambridge Analytica. And Michael Flynn also worked for Cambridge Analytica as an advisor, uh, uh, senior advisor for, for a brief period of time. And it was listed under SCL group in his public uh, uh, financial disclosure form. Um, now he later amended it. First it wasn't in there, but he had to go back and amend it and then it was in there. Um, so, you know, it is my belief that the top people that are running this operation um, are likely uh, General Stanley McChrystal, four-star general and, and, and general, uh, three-star general Michael Flynn. Um, and then from there, you can argue, okay, so who's higher level up, who's mid-level, who's low level, you know, who are the true believers that they manipulate on the low level or the grifters or, or, you know, the willing people that, you know, want to go along with the operation on the lower level who don't care, you know, and then mid-level, you know, Thomas Schoenberg is probably mid to low, you know, I mean, he's, he's probably, you know, maybe Robert Davis still is higher, like I mentioned, you know, him earlier. And so, you know, Flynn, Bannon, McChrystal, Ezra Cohn, Watnick, you know, they're probably, they're probably up there, you know, Pro probably up there. And then you have, you know, it's, it's, so since it's a highly compartmentalized structure, not everyone, you know, understands the full scope of the operation or what's happening, except for the people at the top. They're kind of like, you know, disseminating need to know information down and need to know operations down to the people, you know, and that seems a lot how it works. You know, so it's the, all these people are involved when she start, you know, learning the links and connections and, and Lee Veltman's talked a lot about it. I've talked a lot about it. Um, there's many researchers out there who are trying to research connections between Thomas Schoenberger um, and uh, um, the QAnon operation. You know, there's a Financial Times documentary. Uh, it was more like a report, about five to 20 minutes that came out discussing a lot of, of I, I believe that Arturo, uh, who I mentioned earlier was the source for that too as well. Um, and, uh, and, and it, I mean, if you look, it's there. I mean, there's emails that have been released between all of these people. Like I mentioned earlier, Thomas Schoenberger uh, has worked and done operations with Beyond Khan. Um, you know, there's many numerous connections between Thomas Schoenberger and Michael Flynn. So I say that Cambridge Analytica, because of Michael Flynn and because of Steve Bannon, isn't involved in the QAnon operation, I would be hard pressed to think, you know, that that wasn't true with all the information that we already have available to us. Yeah. And, and I mean, stuff that we discussed here. So I, you know, I'd be, 
if it wasn't, I'd, I'd be more surprised. Yeah. And I mean, it really does raise just some truly um, disturbing possibilities. I mean, one of the quotes I really took away from the, uh, the Matheny uh, interview on uh, Parallax View, I believe, uh, was the specific quote that Matheny said. Uh, Unfortunately, what we've discovered is that there are certain personality types that can trigger a flight into destructive fantasy, and this is uh, in relation to the effects that ARGs can have on them. And I mean, the thing that you have to understand about Cambridge Analytica is that they specifically profiled people and their personality types, which they were able to deduce from all the data that they had harvested from Facebook. Mm -hmm. There was very much a scientific process behind this. So they know the personality types. And when you kind of combine it with some of the uh, implications that had come out of these ARGs, I mean, it does raise some disturbing possibilities as to what this can do to um, individuals that are already unstable, which certainly does sadly seem to characterize a lot of the people that are attracted to things like Q. And you and I both believe too, that there are certain personality types that are able to do pattern recognition well, usually uh, NTs, mm-hmm. um, are that, 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 were, that the psychographical warfare was able to work somewhat on people of those personality types. And people of those personality types, like myself, I'm an INTP. Um, I, um, I, we have been going to 4chan since you know, 2004, since I was a senior in high school. Um, but my my good, a good, good uh, former friend of mine was an INTP. And, uh, and uh, you know, he started going there first. And we were obsessed with anime and video games when I was a teenager. So, you know, I, it's interesting that they chose 4chan to run a lot of these ARGs and a lot of these LARPs and a lot of these operations on the chance because you're going to find a majority of NTs there, in my opinion. And so that would make sense that they would run these operations there to try to harvest as much mental power maybe um or to test people's boundaries uh to well, see you know what could happen well i mean i also think with certain personality types because i'm an intp too and i mean other ones like intjs entps i mean a lot of uh besides the fact that a lot of times people with these personality types are highly intelligent they also um uh, they tend to be anti-authoritarian, or mm-hmm. maybe not necessarily anti-authoritarian, but anti-social, um, and definitely opposed a lot of times to the status quo in some way or other. So you also sort of have uh, the situation with people who are, on the one hand, highly intelligent, but also uh, prone to oppose uh, social structures, on the other hand, which isn't necessarily a good combination if you're you know, obsessed with maintaining social order, certainly. Now you got to find some way to put a carrot on the stick and keep them busy like Cicada 3301, huh? Yeah, certainly it would uh, make a lot of sense, that's for sure. Much more so than what was uh, <laughs> presented in the uh, that particular documentary we were talking about earlier. Yes. Yes. All right, so let's wrap things up here with a couple of final questions. All right, so what about the timing of all of this? I mean, the Financial Times is certainly part of the globalist clique. Uh, I mean, is there's a, was there a bit of a desperation behind this uh, limited hangout? Uh, if you guys uh, want to weigh in on this, uh, Jack, why don't you go first? Well, you know, a limited hangout is by definition a psychological operation. And uh, facts are in inter- intermingled with disinformation and you know the obvious trick is to glean fact from fiction and in this day and age it's increasingly difficult to sort one from the other um given that 
this is possibly a disinformational psyop. You know, the old, the old uh, saying that desperate times call for desperate measures, you know, in regard to your question about an element of desperation. Um, the question in my mind is, you know, regardless of, of in, intent or, or um, even the um, elements pointing to um, one side or the other, but uh, from which cabal does this psyop originate? And, you know, to use the terminology that I had picked up from the two of you, is this information coming from the left side of the power pyramid or is it a bait and switch psyop from the right side of the power pyramid? Um, it's questions like these that has, you know, brought me directly to your site, Stephen, to, to the VISIP site in terms of the research that you've done and subsequently to other well-researched parapolitical sources such as John's, um, we've read the documents. So, you know, for one, I've come to rely on the research that you guys have been up to and the scholarly documentation of your work. So really, I'm interested in what you guys think about this. All right. Well, uh, John, do you want to take that then? John? Sorry about that. Uh, yeah, I, um, I, I think it's done by both sides of the world order because you have Stanley McChrystal running Defeat Disinfo, lifelong Democrat. And using ISIS AI, a psychographical warfare against uh, progressives, and and uh, and uh, um, you know the whole uh, hashtag New Normal, and McChrystal getting a lot of money advising like the city of Boston, for example, like million dollar contracts on the coronavirus, and so you have him, but you also have Flynn, who's also a lifelong Democrat. However, he quote unquote switches to the Council for National Policy, and him running the QAnon operation, like them running it together, the QAnon appears to be mostly right. However, here recently, I've discovered left QAnon. has kind of like underground QAnon, where right is on 4chan and 8chan and on YouTube and out in the open, and it's for everybody to see. Left QAnon, which has some of the same crazy beliefs as right QAnon, except they think the left side of the world order is going to save them. Joseph Robin and Biden uh, Hillary Clinton exam example, they think, you know, everybody's going to Gitmo, but it's not, you know, Hillary Clinton and <laughs> Biden, it's Trump and Pence, all right? And so there's probably multiple operations being run on every single American citizen. And I believe that the world order kind of connects like a pyramid you know you have the left on one side of the pyramid and you have the right on one side of the pyramid and ultimately they come together and you know you have different factions within that pyramid obviously as recluse has talked about kind of like a mob but when the godfather says jump the rest of the mob says how high so it seems to me that the financial times one thing you'll notice about everybody you know jim stewartson hassan they won't ever i have not heard them mention stanley mccrystal yet I'm, I'm waiting. He's very much involved in this. I'm, I'm really waiting. Well, another interesting me. thing too, I mean, I'd noticed uh, in terms of how they've been framing the history of the ARGs is you don't even hear them um, really bring up Matheny and um, no. 
more recent ones. Uh, in fact, who who's the one guy that they've been holding up as the the creator of the ARGs? Jim Stewartson, who created uh, the Halo Two B's ARG. Um, we obviously know that Ong's hat was before then, and Stewartson's oh, yes, like, well yeah. he's like, I you know I created ARGs. I'm like, no, you didn't, bud. Like, yeah, I mean, Matsuni <laughs> already beat him to the punch. I mean, well over like what a decade or something before, to say nothing of some of the later uh, things Matheny was involved in, like the majestic um, ARG uh, from the early knots that came out right before nine or prior to nine eleven. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's it's an absurd claim. Um, and yeah, it's really baffling as to why the uh, Financial Times would let this character, I mean, keep making that, uh, especially in such a platform like that. Yeah, and then, and then like, like none of them, and, and I know that Arturo is their source, and Arturo talks about McChrystal, and I've done the research, and I know, Mac I'm like, I, you know, the operators, um, uh, Hastings, Michael Hastings wrote the book, The Operators, one of the best, you know, investigative journalist books I've ever read. I mean, you know, obviously Michael Hastings probably leans progressive in his ideological views, but you can't really see that in that book. It's nonpartisan, and he's going against all of them, you know, all of the, all of the military industrial complex and all the war monitors. And it really shows how close the Flynn family is to the McChrystals. Now, they're acting like they're not now because McChrystal has thrown his lot in with Biden and Stanley McChrystal, you know, uh, endorsed Joe Biden. Man, no, man, you don't. The these the, these the Flynn's and the McChrystals would die for each other. All right, in a military war bond. All right, they can make this school WWE play nonsense as much as they want to. That they're not still friends or anything, and they're not working together in this operation. You know, yeah. I, I, if I if you believe that, I got some oceanfront property in Arizona. I'll sell you. All right, it's bullcrap. So that's the thing is is this whole you know, TEDx, Mid-Atlantic, where you have the people who go in there to talk about the CMP, uh, and, and they go in there to talk about, the, you know, they have another broadcast about QAnon on there, you know, with Stewartson and with Hassan, and, you know, Ann Nelson's been over there, and Brent Allpress, like, all these people that are on the left, not, I'm still waiting for the men mention of, of Stanley McChrystal, like, I'm waiting and I find it quite odd that none of them will when he's obviously involved. I mean, I, I myself am more politically ideologically right, but I call it the Council for National Policy all the freaking time. So we call it your own. Yeah. And it's, it's just really interesting, too, again, to see just the rise of JSOC and all of this. I mean, because they really do seem to be manipulating, I mean, these groups on both the left and the right. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, you know, I keep going back to how that I think has just been such a major shakeup in the greater power structure, ultimately, because it's it really is a different kind of culture that, I mean, has become so pervasive and really because um, Obama, you know, I mean, in fairness, gave JSOC unprecedented power. I mean, even more so than they had in the uh, Bush two years within uh, the DOD and so forth. So uh, like many things, it kind of seems like that particular agenda continues unabated, regardless of what party holds office. On that note, yes. okay, guys, uh, assuming that Biden prevails, and that's, you know, as the, we were recording this, that's still a bit subjective, though it might be a little different by the time this drops. What role do you guys see uh, being played by QAnon and the ARGs going forward? Jack, do you want to start off with that one? So I think it's really interesting looking at a post-election cycle um environment 
and um, it's clear that uh, QAnon has elements of um, fanaticism, and you could argue that there's a element of that w within uh, Trumpism. You know, it's possible that uh, that uh, again, given uh, the fact that Trump leaves office. Um, it's likely that he's going to be more powerful out of office than he is in. And so I see there's probably a, a significant role for the continuation of, of uh, the QAnon phenomena. Um, and as of this recording, there's a lot of interest that I wanted to ask of, of both of you guys. I have, I'm, I'm curious to get your guys' take on the uh, purge over at the Pentagon post-election from Trump. You guys have any? You guys have any insights on that? <laughs> uh, we're actually getting ready to record a podcast about that here, just as soon as we uh, wrap up this one. But um, you know, to kind of go briefly into that here, uh, on my end, I definitely think that's pretty uh, ominous, especially in light of what we just you know we're talking about with JSOC. It does seem like uh, specifically Trump is really elevating a lot of people with backgrounds and uh, special operations forces, and uh, specifically JSOC and. Um, it's not a good sign because uh, JSOC is uh, our principal means of waging counterinsurgency. So, yeah, it's not something to uh, be very excited about. Uh, John? Uh, yeah, I don't want to spoil too much of our next broadcast. But, yes, there were many uh, Trump loyalists and Flynn loyalists, like as we're calling Watnick, uh, who I believe is, is part of the Q operation. However, Jim Stewartson has been saying that he's either this uh, – this uh, handle on Twitter, E the Friendly, uh, who keeps getting suspended. Uh, I'm waiting for the proof, Jim. You haven't showed it yet, bud. Uh, I still think, uh, uh, and, and, and Turo has said himself that it's likely to be a Thomas Schoenberg or SOC account or someone related to that operation. Because as we're calling Watnick, that would be huge. I still haven't seen enough convincing evidence other than Jim saying, I got the proof, bro. Uh, I haven't seen it. Um, so, you know, I yes, they seems to me that they put in QAnon people and um, well uh, what am I supposed to say about that uh, it's going to be either oh, I pray to God that nothing happens or them supposedly allegedly possibly returning all the troops home from the Middle East which any, any given Sunday and if any given year me being staunchly anti-war I would say yeah this is great you know and <laughs> Uh, I don't know if if, uh, if uh, there's any shenanigans that happen to stoke tensions, to stoke, to stoke an, another a, a new civil war, and there's no uh, peaceful transition of power between Biden and Trump. Or maybe there's a reason why the Flynn loyalists are now in control of the Department of Defense. The Trump loyalists are now uh, in control of the Department of Defense. I hate to say it; it makes me sick to my stomach. But who knows? Who knows if you know, the troops need to be home for some sort of Operation Warp Speed uh, shenanigans, you know, of people not wanting to accept the vaccine, even though they keep claiming that the military won't go door to door to give it. But then why is the military staunchly involved through and through with Operation Warp Speed, even more than the private sector is? So, yeah, in a roundabout way of saying I am deeply concerned about what has been going on.
All right. Well, assuming that, um, you know, we uh, don't have some kind of um, coup d'etat or counter coup or something in the uh, next week or two, uh, do you see QAnon potentially, you know, being used as maybe a kind of quasi Gladio type thing uh, during a Biden slash Harris administration, John? I believe probably likely, yeah. Um, they'll say that they're, you know, well, we we, we said Trump was going to win the election, but it's really better for him not to, because, you know, he'll launch Trump TV and, and and it'll be an online thing, and we'll win the propaganda war, and he'll really win in 2024. And since so many people have, you know, bought into Q as a high control group, uh, and you know, almost as a new religion, um, you know, there'll be a few people that will realize this is bull crap and, and be like, you know, I was lied to and this is an operation and they'll figure it out. But many people, like they've done previously beforehand, they will quadruple down and continue to, you know, stay fast in their beliefs. So, yeah. Oh, it'll actually, I, it'll reinforce it. I mean, that was um, something, you know, when we had Keith on, I think, gosh, I can't remember which one it was specifically. Um, it may have been the Moral Rearmament show. But uh, Keith was talking about one particular book he was a fan of called The God of Trauma. And effectively, it went into how, um, despite, you know, cults, when they have uh, their prophecies fail, you know, it's generally assumed that this would le weaken the uh, hold that these cults and ideologies would have on their followers. But the opposite is the, you know, often the result. I mean, some members do break away, but generally speaking, going through that collective trauma of the public humiliation and shaming and so forth of having a prophecy turn out not to be true actually strengthens the bonds of the cult. So, you know, and also, Stephen, you know, with QAnon, there's also a lot of money to be made oh, moving yeah. forward. And so, you know, if if there if 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 you uh, if you um, look at this phase of uh, the presidency as a smash and grab, there's a lot of money to be made in the transition. No doubt. And then, you know, kind of getting into what we were uh, talking about before with Trump TV going live and the, you know, what we kind of know about um, the ability of Cambridge Analytica, I mean, specifically to target certain personality types for, you know, I mean, hostile and militant propaganda and so forth to trigger them. Well, I mean, that raises some really disturbing possibilities because, I mean, you know, most likely it's going to be the same clique involved uh, behind the scenes in Trump TV. You already have this, this network of fanatical followers followers, um, you know, uh, set up and ready. Uh, and they will certainly have the means to push their buttons on a massive scale with Trump TV. And, um, you know, that's, yeah. Does the word jihad mean anything to anybody? <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, I mean, we've already seen hints of this with the, you know, thinly veiled uh, tweets, you know, possibly endorsing Q and what have you. So, I mean, you know, we can only imagine what it's going to be like with Trump TV. That's, uh, that's for sure, and it's not a good uh, prospect. <laughs> no, no, not at all. It's, and it's uh, certainly tragic. I mean, as we're kind of seeing how um, the counterculture has effectively been turned against itself and weaponized here. Uh, of course, I mean, some people always argue that the counterculture was a type of weaponization in the first place. That's a suppose a fair perspective to take, uh, but I don't want to drag things out for another hour debating the ins and out of that. But no doubt, um, these technologies, um, especially like Operation Mindfuck, do appear to have been weaponized on some level, and certainly the successors of them. And uh, effectively, this has pushed society at large towards a moment that Jack was referring to, a chapel perilous. 
And, um, well, you know, and it's interesting, Stephen, too, because in uh, in some of the inform some of the literature that you'd sent my way recently, there was a point that I really I appreciated, which was in these crazy times that we find ourselves in, it is those who have really um, gleaned information and, and partaken in the whole um, Robert Anton Wilson uh, take on Operation Mindfuck and in the uh, emergence of the Chapel Perilous component that those who have spent time in there are well equipped to recognize and be able to find their way th out the back door of Chapel Perilous, if you catch my drift. Was it, was it Ra who said, what was it, um, when the weird, or when uh, the weird gets, uh, what is it, when the times get weird, <laughs> the weird turn pro? When the going gets weird, the weird turn pro, that was none other than Hunter Thompson. Hunter Thompson. Okay. Okay. So yeah, I mean, I think the three of us are in pretty good position for these times. Um, I'm more worried about the public at large though, because unfortunately yes. there are a lot of people out there who are not ready for these times. Well, that's the twin shock of the times that we're in. It's not only the times that we're in, but it's also the, um, this, the, uh, a sudden under, um, realization of uh, everything that you know is wrong you know it's yeah. a double whammy yeah uh i mean i do pity a lot of the people out there because i mean they just do not really conceive of what's happening and um you know assuming biden prevails and we don't have a civil war in the uh, coming weeks um you know we're not going back to normal whatever that uh, even constituted in 2016 as it were so that train's left the station yeah yeah and it's never coming it's back. gone it's never coming back <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah we are in a uncertain future that is for sure and um you know all we can really do is prepare ourselves as best we can so on that note, I suppose we shall wrap things up for now. Uh, John, Jack, I want to thank you guys a lot for joining me. I think this has uh, really been a great show. Um, and as always, to all of you out there, good night and good luck, and thank you for listening.